Welcome to Crossroads. I'm John Arnold, pastor of Crossroads Ministries. Crossroads is a family-oriented ministry that provides programs of spiritual growth for all ages. The church is located on Route 88, one mile south of Trax Farm, between South Park and Finleyville. If you're within driving distance, we invite you to enjoy a service of worship and the Word at 9.30 or 11 on Sunday. Check us out on the web at crossroadsministries.com. Let's open our Bibles today to the book of Hebrews, chapter 9. As you're doing that, let me invite you to our services, even this morning. Right now, you're listening to us at 9.30, and uh, our first service is starting. But our second service begins at 11, and so maybe you are living in close enough driving distance to jump in the car and come right over. Uh, I guarantee you'll receive a blessing, a message from the Word of God, and a group of people that will reach out and make you feel welcome in the church. There's a place for every single person here at Crossroads Ministries. Uh, Just check us out on the website if you need directions. Crossroadsministries.com Well, summer is slipping away from us, isn't it? It's uh, just about becoming history. This has been such an incredible summer for us here at Crossroads. The Lord has just blessed us in an increasing way throughout the whole summer. Through our summer prayer emphasis, and if you're interested in knowing more about the prayer emphasis, you can go to our website and check that all out. Uh, Some other churches are using it as well. And uh, I think it's a great thing for us to stay focused on the things of the Lord in the summertime. My my philosophy is never take a vacation from God. Actually, we've been praying this whole summer that God would enable our vacations to be a, a vacation for God rather than from God. So uh, with that in our mind, let's open our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9 and let's uh, begin to read. Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. The writer of Hebrews is comparing one covenant from the other, the Old Covenant with the New Covenant. And remember, last week's program we talked to you about the quotation in Hebrews chapter 8 of Jeremiah 31, verse 31 through 34. That's the ancient prophecy, 600 years before Christ, of the coming of the New Covenant, the inauguration of the New Covenant by none other than Jesus himself. Well, here he talks about the the first covenant, and he's referring to the covenant of law in uh, chapter 9, verse 1. He said, listen, that's the way they worship back in that day. We have a new way to worship today. With that in our mind, read verse number 1 again. Then indeed, even the first covenant, that is law, had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part, in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. Now, in the next few verses, he describes, actually gives a very short summary of the what what the ancient tabernacle was all about, and and uh, we don't have to go into those items today. That's just a summary. And then in verse number six, he picks it up and he says that now when these things have been thus prepared, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. The regular priesthood 
of the Levites. They would go into the first part of the tabernacle and there they would spend much of their time continually doing the offerings and the services of worship. But verse number 7 is significant because it takes us back, remember, to the main point of last week's program. Jesus is our high priest. The Holy of Holies is for everyone because Christ now is the high priest. Verse number 7 says, But into the second part the high priest went alone. Now, whenever Jesus died upon the cross and he ascended into heaven and he sat down, that denoted his finished work. At the right hand of the majesty on high, uh, he declared not only to earth but to heaven that his sacrificial work was finished and his high priestly work was inaugurated. But the Bible says here that whenever he took the blood, his own blood, into the true tabernacle in heaven, he went alone. That's interesting because that's what the high priest had to do, remember? On earth the high priest had to take the blood and he had to go in alone. He didn't have an assistant with him. This was his job. And he went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins, committed in ignorance. Now that's the high priest on earth. When he went into the earthly tabernacle, he had to take the blood, and he had to take the blood, which was also for himself as well as the people's sins, who had committed those sins in ignorance. Now when Jesus went into the true tabernacle in heaven, He didn't have to take the blood for himself because everything that Jesus did was for us, for you and me. Uh, He came from heaven to earth not because he needed to, but because he wanted to. He died upon the cross not because he needed to, but because he wanted to for you and me. This shows to us the extreme love of God for the souls of humanity. John 3.16, you know it well. For God so loved the world, so loved, he just didn't love, he so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's what he did. And so here we find he went alone into the Holy of Holies. Look at verse number 8. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. Now this is interesting to me. The Holy Spirit indicating this. Behind the giving of the Bible is none other than the person of the Holy Spirit. Remember Peter said, holy men of God were moved by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the author of the Bible. The Holy Spirit is the teacher of the Bible. And so here he he draws our attention to the Holy Spirit, and he says the Holy Spirit is indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all, that's the Holy of Holies, was not yet made manifest. That means you couldn't go there while the first tabernacle was still standing. Actually, when the first tabernacle was still standing, we could probably visualize a big sign out front that said, Keep out. You can't come into the presence of God. In fact, there's only one person who can come into the presence of God, and that can only happen once a year. 
And that was none other than the high priest. And so, while that whole system was in operation, the system of the first covenant, the covenant of law, uh, it was a, a system where we, the average person, could not go into the holiest of holies. Verse number 9 says it was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered which can make him who performed the service perfect in regards to the conscience. Concerning only with foods and drinks and various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is not of this creation not with the blood of goats and calves but with his own blood now listen to this he entered the most holy place once for all having obtained eternal redemption eternal payment he did that one time for all sins for all men for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifers sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purity of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience? Well, that's a lot of information. Here in verse number 1 through verse number 5 of Hebrews chapter 9, we have a perfect sanctuary referred to. Uh, uh, these people had uh, had the old sanctuary, sanctuary uh, pretty well established in their mind, the tabernacle. Remember, Moses received the commandments, but he also received the arrangements for the tabernacle when he was at that particular time. And uh, people knew that uh, God inhabited the tabernacle. Whenever the tabernacle moved through the wilderness in the Old Testament, they followed it. They arranged their camp around the center. The center of their camp was the tabernacle. If somebody sent a letter to God during that time, it was delivered at the tabernacle. Um, after a period of time, remember King David wanted to update the version of the tabernacle and give God a temple. He was feeling bad. Uh, he lived in a, a mansion and thought God deserved better than that, and so. He decided, let's build a temple for God. and But God, as you know, wouldn't let him because he was a man of war. But he did let his son Solomon because he was a person of peace. And so there we have then the updated version of the tabernacle called the temple. First of all, it was Solomon's temple and then it was called Zerubbabel's temple and then it was called Herod's temple. And, and by the time that was finished, everybody was in awe. It was the one of the uh, ancient wonders uh, uh, wonders of the ancient world. But verse 23 says something inf- interesting. It says, Therefore it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. We find that word copies used a number of times to describe the earthly tabernacle. It meant it was a sketch, it was a shadow of things in heaven. The perfect sanctuary was in heaven itself. In verse 11, it's called the perfect tabernacle. And so as you read the Old Testament, it's kind of like a a shadow of things to come. 
I, I don't think it would, could be described in any better way than that. You know, uh, it's a, it's a sketch of something beyond. And so the holy holies, a holy of holies, was going to be in the future something that everybody could enjoy, but they could not enjoy it back then. Only one person, the high priest, could enter one time per year into the very presence of God. And then he talks about a perfect sacrifice. He, you know, the, he talks, he compares the old system with the new system. If you go back in your thinking to whenever the Lord was asking his people to bring lambs, remember he always said, listen, I want you to bring a lamb without blemish. And I'm sure they did the best they could. But uh, look at the result of it in verse number 9. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. This is interesting. Uh, as good as the system was back in that day, it could not cleanse the conscience of those who brought the sacrifice. Neither could it cleanse the conscience of the priest or the people. And you know, man really needed that, but that wasn't a part of the Old Covenant. Uh, that deep abiding sense of forgiveness that you and I enjoy today is a blessing of the new covenant. You know, conscience is a very interesting thing, and every time the Bible mentions it, uh, I kind of perk up and uh, pay special attention because, you know, conscience is that inner convictor that we have uh, built into our our inner person. It produces a lot of guilt, doesn't it? Uh, whenever we do something just a little bit wrong, our conscience rises up and says, listen, hey, that was wrong. Remember in the beginning when God created Adam and Eve, uh, and uh, then they they broke the only commandment that God made in the Garden of Eden, and uh, their first response was to run away. They had a guilty conscience. And you know, when people have a guilty conscience today, it works the same way. Uh, and people want to want run away from God if they know someone who's walking with God. They don't want to hang out with them because they're convicted of their sin. They're troubled in their spirit because they know they're not living life the way God wants them to live. And so, as as good a system as God designed in the Old Testament, it couldn't cleanse a person and give them that that cleansed conscience, that freedom from the guilt of their sin. Uh, but there was some some good elements of the new covenant that is incorporated here in Hebrews chapter 9. Let's look at verse 15. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Now, in order to get that, you have to read that kind of slowly a number of times for that all to sink in. That's, that's one big, long statement there. He is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption, that means the purchase, of the transgressions under the first covenant. What's that mean? That means that under the new covenant, people become free from the penalty of sins that they committed under the first covenant. 
Now what he's doing is he's reaching back and he's showing these people, listen, you were essentially raised under the old covenant. And now comes Jesus and he's trying to, he's trying to make this bridge out of the past into the future, from the old to the new. And uh, he's explaining the terrific benefit of the new covenant, the death of Jesus Christ, the redemption price that he paid for our sins upon the cross. And uh, he says, listen, one of the first features of this is that there is a freedom of the penalty of sin for those who committed sin under the first covenant. Wow, that's big. Uh, One of the first accomplishments of Jesus' death was to redeem all those who believed in God under the first covenant. Now, I'm going to state that again. I I want you to just kind of reach out, stop a minute. Try to absorb that. One of the first accomplishments of the death of Christ was to redeem, to pay for, the sin of all those who believed in God under the first covenant. In in other words, Christ's death was retroactive. It really was. It was retroactive. Whenever you... uh, I know that some of you understand the meaning of the word retroactive. You know, you've uh, applied for something, maybe a disability or something. and uh, We'll just use that as an example. And you've run all the paperwork through and you're waiting and waiting to see what happens. And you get the letter in the mail and it says, it says listen, you've been approved. And you've not only been approved for the, these funds to begin on a certain day, but, but these funds are going to begin in a retroactive way. It's going to date back three or four or five years. And boy, you're just like, this is like too good to be true. Uh, let's go buy that car we were thinking about. Hey, let's, let's fix the roof on the house. Uh, let's remodel the bathroom. Let's do all this stuff uh, because we're going to get something retroactive. Well, when Christ died upon the cross, he paid the final payment of the sins of all the people who lived under the old covenant. Because one thing we have to always remember, those sins of all those people were never completely redeemed for, completely paid for. Now, they, they, uh, they were atoned for, but not completely paid for. The Old Testament word atonement means to cover. And so if you can visualize... If you can visualize these people coming to the tabernacle or to the temple, they're bringing their offerings. They're they're coming and they are, uh, and they're going through the rituals of atonement. And uh, they're going home and they're coming back again because they have to go through it again and again and again and again. And the reason why is that the scripture says that the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. It was a picture that sin was serious. It was a picture that the people believed that death was needed in order to be forgiven because the Bible says the soul that sins, it shall die. It was, it was a picture of things to come. And so every year they had to do it. They believed in God, they did it. But then when Jesus came, we had something completely different. We didn't just have a covering of sin. We had the complete redemption for sin. We had the final, last, 
ultimate payment made for the sins of the world. In fact, that's, that's what Jesus meant when he died upon the cross and he made that tremendous declaration, It is finished. When he made that declaration, It is finished, uh, that's the Greek word to telestai. And it means paid in full. No more payments are needed. No more offerings are needed. No more sacrifices are needed. No more blood needs to be shed. My blood was the final blood that was shed for the sins of the world. And so, and so really all of these people that died in faith, remember the principle of faith was in effect from the very beginning, from Abel. Uh, the, the, all these people that believed in God and and went through the ritual of sacrificial offerings depicting the need of a substitute to die for them were in waiting for the final payment to be made. And when Jesus died upon the cross and he said, it is finished, the world knew it. And I'm sure that one of the first people secondarily who knew it were those who were in waiting Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Abel and all the righteous of the past who uh, who were waiting on the final payment and so that's what this is talking about right here in Hebrews chapter 9 uh, it's quite fascinating isn't it uh, that the first accomplishment of the death of Christ was to redeem pay for all those who believed in God under the first covenant. Christ's death was retroactive. On the Day of Atonement, Leviticus 16, that offering also was retroactive. It atoned for the sins of the people for the previous year. When the Old Testament priests sprinkled the blood, the unintentional sins of the people were covered for the previous year. Now, people were redeemed from the penalty of the law. What is the penalty of the law? Well, let's look. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. This, this gives us a, a snippet right here. Verse 27. As it is appointed for man once to die, but after that the judgment. That was one of the first verses of Scripture I ever learned to memorize. It's appointed unto man once to die, but after that the judgment. Uh, if a person doesn't know Christ... He has to die and then he has to stand at the judgment. Uh, that's an ominous thought. It really is. The Bible says in John 5.22, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. Wow. One of these days, if a person is outside of Jesus Christ, has never been forgiven by Christ for their sins, they have to stand at the judgment. And where do we read the prophecy of the coming judgment? Well, we read it in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 20, verse number 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away. There was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, but the things which were written in the books... That's the final judgment right there. The great white throne judgment. That's, that we call the end of the day 
for those who choose to pay for their own sins. You know, everybody has to pay for their sins. Because we not only have a God who loves us, but he, we also have a God of justice as well. And he says in Exodus 34.7, I will not let the guilty go unpunished. Thank God we have a righteous judge. Whenever somebody stands before the before the great white throne, they can be sure that it's not going to be a mistrial. There's not going to be a miscarriage of justice. They're going to get justice. Now, many years ago, I decided in my life that I didn't want justice. I wanted mercy. And that's what the cross is all about. If you get justice, uh, it will be a punishment too great for you to bear. But if you get mercy, it will be a blessing uh, too exciting for you to ever get over. That's why probably your favorite song will be Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. You've been listening to Crossroads, the intersection of faith and life. Crossroads Ministries is a family ministry that provides programs of spiritual growth for all ages. If you're looking for a church with exciting challenges for young people, led by a mature staff of trained workers, and Bible teaching that is life-related, Crossroads may just be what you're seeking. Check us out on the web at crossroadsministries.com. Now until we come your way next time, may God bless you and yours is our prayer. 